Hi, I'm Robin Shea and I live 80-20. What that means is 80% of the time I cook clean and healthy and keep it as close to nature as possible. But I always save 20% for a guilt-free Southern indulgence. Hi, I'm Robin Shea and I live 80-20. And that means that 80% of the time I keep my nutrition clean and whole and as close to nature as possible. But I always save 20% for a guilt-free indulgence. Now today's show, we're gonna start off with two amazing 80% healthy recipes that are sure to nourish your body. And the whole theme of this show are those wonderful drop-in guests that we might not be expecting, but we still wanna serve them something delicious and quick. Well, this is the perfect place to start. It's a garlic and rosemary encrusted pork tenderloin. So let's talk about our piece of meat before we get started with the rest. Here we have about a two pound pork tenderloin. And before, when you're, you're starting to prepare this and just looking at your meat, Oftentimes, pork will have what's called just a silver skin on top of it, and it's just kind of a membrane. It's not like the fat, but it's really not necessary and not something that you want uh, to leave on your piece of meat. You want to make sure that you trim all of that off. So kind of look over your meat, and if you see that just kind of gray-tinged little bit of membrane covering it, then take just a few minutes and trim it up. So get you a nice, sharp knife lift it up and just kind of cut. So trimming it up actually is a really good idea before you put it in the oven because every last bite of this tenderloin is gonna be delicious. So you don't want anything impairing your flavor or just uh, taking away from the presentation. So we don't have much uh, silver skin on this particular piece, but it is very common in pork, so take a look for that. Now the first thing we're gonna do to get started is we're gonna drizzle just some wonderful, good quality olive oil on the top of it, and that's probably about enough, as well as our balsamic vinegar. Pour that on well. I'm just gonna kind of massage this in and get make sure it's nice and coated. We'll finish it off with a little bit to make sure we use it all. We're gonna roast this in a 400 degree oven for 20 minutes, that's it. So these wonderful guests that stopped by that we're so happy to see, but we just don't have time to create a nice, big, long dinner. This is the perfect, perfect solution to that. So just remember, this particular piece we're gonna be roasting at 400. And let's talk about that temperature for just a second. The higher the temperature, uh, the more you're really seeking to make a nice, hard crust on the outside. So. If you can go up a little bit in temperature, maybe 400 to 450, you're gonna get a nice crust. You're just gonna have to keep a very close eye on it and perhaps have a meat thermometer handy to make sure that the internal temperature reaches at least 155 degrees for a piece of pork like this. So, we are ready for the encrustation part. So let's get our spices over here. We just have some nice garlic and some rosemary. We're gonna add these our pan or to our little bowl here with the rosemary and then of course we have some wonderful sea salt that we're also gonna top on there a 
And I'm really literally just going to be pushing this down onto my pork, forming that crust. Now, if you wanted to, this would be a great opportunity for maybe some panko breadcrumbs as well would be delicious on this. Now, I'm gonna set this to the side. Let's talk about our roasting pan and why we have lined it with these beautiful vegetables. First of all, they act as a little bit of an aromatic. So when they start to cook, of course, they release their natural uh, liquids and they just kind of rise up and they're gonna infuse this piece of pork with even additional flavor. You don't wanna add any chicken stock or anything like that to the base of this, simply because you'll start to steam your meat because it will, it will just kind of evaporate and it will start to steam the bottom of the beef. And that's not what we're looking for. We're looking for a nice crust on the outside so when we cut into it, the juices just release. We don't want a steamed piece of meat. So actually the, the mirepoix that we have here is just onions, some celery, and some carrots. If you wanted to do some potatoes, that's wonderful as well. This also serves another purpose. It gets the meat up off the bottom of the dish so that the air can just work all the way around the piece of meat. So I think we're ready to go on and put this inside. And that's perfect. Again, 20 minutes, 400 degrees. Keep a close eye on it. And I'm gonna pop this in the oven, get this little area cleaned up because we have some roasted potatoes that are gonna go with this delicious piece of pork. So don't go anywhere, we will be right back. Okay, so here we are with our second part of this delicious 80% recipe. We have our pork tenderloin cooking off in the oven. Remember, it's at 400 uh, to 450 degrees. You're just gonna keep a close eye on that and make sure you have a meat thermometer to read that pork temperature properly. But we have some roasted potatoes that we're gonna make to go along with that. And what's beautiful about it is that all of this can go in the oven at the same time because these cook about 10 minutes longer than the pork, but the pork has to rest for 10 minutes. So it all comes out perfectly in the end. So we're gonna start this with some Yukon potatoes. We want to, again, think about uniformity. We want all of our sizes about the same so that when they finish roasting, they're all gonna have the same degree of doneness. So just a good two inch quartered piece is going to be perfect. If you have a little dark spot, go ahead and just slice that off, pull it to the side. When we're learning to do something new, we learn in phases. Many times we are unaware that we don't know what we don't know. And that's kind of where we start the process. We're unaware that we're unaware. And that's where your transition will begin. So we move from, from that, we're kind of reintroducing some ideas. And then all of a sudden we're aware that there's practices that we could use to improve our relationship with food. But we have to consciously think about what we're doing. So we constantly stay honed in on different information. We become more familiar with what first-generation foods are and how we're cleaning up our lifestyle. But it takes a lot of effort on our part because we have to stay focused on what we're doing. It's not committed to memory yet. Then the third step is we kind of transition into feeling more confident about what we're doing. So we're consciously competent. We're still thinking about it, but it's committing itself into memory a little bit. So we're getting a little more grounded in our new practice. And then finally one day, we make choices. We're unaware that we have moved completely over through the reinvention process, and we are automatically making these new choices. So just, I guess what I'm saying is allow yourself that time to work through all four phases 
of reinventing your relationship with food. You may get frustrated in that second phase because that's the longest and the hardest phase to make it through. But once you do, this third phase and the fourth phase, all of a sudden you'll wake up and your entire relationship with how you relate to food will be reinvented. And that's the goal here. So let's talk about what we're gonna do next. Let's go ahead and prepare some of our dill because the two finishing uh, flavors that we're gonna lay on top, we're not gonna bake it with this because we want the flavors to be bright, really bright and vibrant when we bite into the, these potatoes. So we're gonna have the dill and the lemon that we're just gonna finish these off with. So let me chop up just a little bit of my dill. We want the flavor to be really, really bright, which is why we're saving it for the very, very end. And I think that's probably enough. Add that to my dish here. So let me pour my olive oil right on top of my potatoes and just give them a little bit of a stir, we have our oven preheated. Well, actually we have our pork tenderloin in the oven. So we're gonna pop this right in the same oven. But I wanna talk to you just for a quick second about placing your potatoes in your roasting pan. If you have a heavy, dark metal roasting pan, that is ideal. What I have is going to work, uh, but it's not, it's not ideal. So those heavy, dark uh, roasting pans are really what you wanna shoot for when you're roasting potatoes. They distribute the heat very evenly. They get nice and hot underneath your potatoes. So the, the finished product is really perfect when you have a nice big pan. So let's talk about how much room we want between our potatoes. I'm cooking for so many people all the time that I have a tendency to go overboard, pile this to the top. Well, I'm not gonna get a beautiful roasted potato if the air doesn't have an opportunity to move around in between each potato. I'll have a delicious plate of cooked vegetables, perhaps a little steamed, but nicely seasoned, but I'm not gonna have crisp, uh, roasted, you know, hard on the outside, crunchy on the outside, soft and tender on the inside, if I don't allow for the air to have an opportunity to work its magic in between these potatoes. So that's about right. I'm gonna sprinkle just a little bit of salt on top, not much. We're gonna finish it off with the salt as well. So just a little sprinkle should do it. And let me go pop these in the oven. I'm gonna get this little area cleaned up because we have a grab and go. And remember, we always fall victim to old habits uh, when we get too hungry. So never allow yourself to get too hungry. I have a perfect grab and go that will help stave off hunger anytime it's healthy and it stays in your 80%. So don't go anywhere, we will be right back. Any busy house needs a whole list of grab-and-go snacks that are healthy and ready for your family on a dime's notice. If we don't have them, believe me, I have a very active household and my boys can eat me out of house and home. So the store-bought snacks are not always the most cost-effective and they're typically not always the healthiest. But when you have a nice repertoire of grab-and-go snacks that you can make quickly, you can really uh, keep your kids on track. So we're gonna start this grab and go with some raisin bread. Just nice, wholesome raisin bread, a little bit of a cinnamon flavor as well. Every kid loves it. Every mom, every dad loves it as well. I put about a half a pat of butter in my pan here just to toast up my raisin bread. If you wanted to use a toaster, you could certainly do that as well and eliminate this little extra butter step. 
Uh, but I'm gonna get this nice and toasted. And let's talk about what we're gonna top this with because here are some wonderful old-fashioned flavors that I really think uh, it's exciting to me to introduce my children to flavors that I grew up on that have just kind of disappeared for a little while. But to bring those back and to see the kids light up with a new flavor is always really fun. So here we have some figs. And when I was a kid, these are just uh, dried figs. You can buy them in the bag at the grocery store. If you have access to fresh figs, absolutely fantastic. When I was a kid in Louisiana, it was not uncommon to find me in my aunt's fig tree in her front yard, uh, just picking fresh figs, peeling them and eating them right there. So absolutely fantastic. We're gonna go ahead and get these in our pan. And as you can see, I'm, I'm using a very sparing amount of butter there. And that's what I was afraid of. I don't want it to, to go up. I don't want it to melt that quickly. So let me pull it back off the heat and give it just a second to cool down. Then we're going to talk about our cheeses because we're also going to add some cheese on top of this. Um, cheese is, is such a wonderful part of both our 80% world and our 20% world. So we have to choose our cheeses very carefully for the most uh, flavor impact. That's what we're going for. We're not going for massive quantities of cheese. We're going for the, the most flavorful impact that a cheese can possibly have. Then you can cut your portions way back. We're gonna give this another try. So let's put it back on our heat. Let's go ahead and add our walnuts. We've talked about roasting walnuts before. And uh, some of the tips that we have, have discussed, I'm gonna go ahead and add all those. It's gonna take them just a second to start, uh, the sugars to start breaking down so that these become nice and soft. Back to our walnuts. Um, when you just kind of leave them in the pan, a little bit of butter, before they actually even start turning colors, what you're gonna notice is this nutty aroma coming up off your pan. So you have to keep a really close eye on them because they are starting to transition and you don't wanna lose track of that or you don't wanna burn them. Oh, and I can even smell the figs starting to release their sugars and they smell delicious as well. Okay, let's come over here and talk about our cheeses for just a minute. This is a manchego cheese. And I apologize if I'm not pronouncing that perfectly uh, for y'all out there that are, are really cheese connoisseurs, but it is a wonderful, very, very flavorful Mexican cheese. It's a hard cheese, a very hard cheese, so it's one you would grate off a whole block. Uh, it has a nutty, buttery, wonderful, wonderful flavor. It's not always the easiest cheese to find in your grocery store. Uh, if you have a Mexican market close by your home, uh, then you, you will probably be able to find it there. Ask your grocer if they carry the cheese. Let's talk about some substitutes. You can always substitute a nice, sharp Parmesan. Uh, Parmesan would be a, a really great substitute for this cheese. It's not dead-on identical, uh, but it has a lot of the same properties, and I, I think you'd be pleased with Parmesan as well. If you can buy the Manchego, then I really suggest that that's the one you use. All right, I think we've got these uh, perfectly done. Enough heat to melt our cheese. Now, the first time you dish this up to your kids, they may look at you like you've lost your mind just a little bit. What are we eating? But then as soon as they have that 
that impact of flavor and they allow it to all kind of blend together. Let me turn my fire off so I don't waste the rest of this. They will be so pleased that they'll be asking for your fig walnut raisin bread as a snack, as a little go-to. So just a little bit more cheese, and it's wonderful because everything is warm enough that it's melting that cheese on top. If you wanted to uh, go to the trouble of popping it under a broiler at this point, you could certainly do that to make sure that everything is nice and heated through and melted together. So this is a perfect grab-and-go for your uh, busy, active family. This will keep them out of the potato chips and of course keep the soda pop away from them. Have a nice flavor infused water of some type available for them. So we're going to get this little area cleaned up because remember we live in our 80% so that we can celebrate in our 20%. And I have a 20% recipe coming up that you are not gonna wanna miss. Plus we have a pork tenderloin that I need to check on as well as some roasted vegetables. So don't go anywhere, we will be right back with more of the show. So now's the time of the show that we get to enjoy our 20% indulgence. And this is a wonderful recipe of homemade caramel sauce with roasted macadamia nuts on top of ice cream. Now the whole theme of this program today has been those unexpected guests that drop in and uh, we wanna get in the kitchen and out of the kitchen, but yet still serve a delicious dinner. So let's get started on our caramel sauce. Don't be intimidated by it. If I can do it, you can do it because I am not a great baker or a very patient cook at all. So this doesn't take much of either. You just have to know a couple things. So first thing we're gonna do is get our pan going. We have sugar, we have cream, a little bit of butter, and some lemon. Because our sugar can be a little temperamental, we don't wanna add it directly to the heat. So what we're gonna do is put in just a little bit of water. And all this water is going to do is kind of temper our sugar so it doesn't hit a really hot pan. Half a teaspoon at this point, and I'm just gonna kind of move it around to make sure the bottom of the pan is all coated. And I'm gonna kind of be playing with my, my temperature on my, my little stove top here to make sure that I don't get any real hot spots so that this can cook evenly. So we're gonna watch our sugar very closely. This is somewhat of a babysitting process. So we're gonna give it just a little bit of a stir. And we're melting the sugar and actually taking it through uh, almost like a roux. You see the roux start to develop in its uh, flavor and you know what you're, whatever you're preparing, the color of the roux is going to kind of dictate the flavor of your dish. And with your caramel, it's gonna be just about the same thing. So we're looking for, and I'm gonna try to turn the heat up just a little bit, but I may have to kind of go, whoa, too much. I may have to go back and forth with my heat there. So I'm gonna let it set for just a second, kind of work from the bottom. Again, watching, babysitting my caramel. That looks absolutely beautiful. Now, a couple of things I do wanna to mention to you. I stirred constantly my caramel. Really not the ideal way to do it, but I was nervous because I didn't want it to burn, I didn't want it to stick. Ideally, you will just have your heat perfectly so that it will just start to liquefy and melt and then turn this beautiful caramel color. But some of this residual that I have around the sides is due to me stirring too much. So just keep that in mind. If you have the confidence, and once you make this a couple times, you will get the confidence. Now it's time to start adding our fat. I turn the heat off 
It is going to continue to cook for just a few minutes. So we're going to add our butter. And we're going to add just a little bit of our cream, about two tablespoons of the cream. Pop this up again. And then remember, we're going to cut our lemon and squeeze it off just a little bit. And I think we could go for just a little bit more cream in there. Perfect. Gonna remove it from the heat. The color is beautiful. The smell, the fragrance of it smells absolutely delicious. And to keep it from separating, we're just gonna squeeze in a little bit of lemon. That should do it. Now let's talk very quickly about our macadamia nuts. You have just your, your whole macadamia nuts, a little bit of honey. You can either roast those on a pan like we've done before with walnuts, just like we did our walnuts in our grab and go segment, uh, or you can toast them in the oven. Just pop them in the oven, 350 degrees, coated in the honey in about um, seven minutes. Keep a close eye on them. Come and just shake them a little, maybe turn them over and continue for another couple of minutes. Now, perfect dessert for those unexpected guests. Let me grab my ice cream. Here we go. I'm going to top warm caramel sauce on top of beautiful vanilla ice cream. Looks absolutely delicious. And then, of course, the final step is going to be to sprinkle just a few of these delicious roasted macadamia nuts. And there you go. That is the perfect 20% celebration. So don't go anywhere. When we come back, we are going to be pulling our pork roast out of the oven along with our roasted potatoes. And we're going to talk about today's show. So stay with us. We will be right back. Thank you for joining me on today's show where we prepared some of my very favorite dishes. The whole theme of today was that drop-in company that you're just not quite expecting, but you don't want to spend hours preparing something for dinner. So these are all very quick, very delicious. Let's talk about our 80% recipes first. We have this beautiful herb-encrusted pork tenderloin, cooks in 20 minutes, very, very simple to prepare, yet packed with flavor. Next, we roasted these beautiful Yukon Gold potatoes. A uh, lot of great tips there to make sure that your roasted potatoes turn out perfectly. We are gonna finish these off on the table. So remember, we want some fresh dill that we're just gonna sprinkle on top. And then we're gonna have just a light drizzle of fresh lemon juice. Those flavors will sit right on top and they will be absolutely delicious. Next, we had our grab and go, which was this beautiful piece of raisin bread with a little bit of cinnamon, some fresh figs, and then some toasted walnuts with our delicious manchego uh, cheese sprinkled on top. And finally, we made some homemade caramel sauce uh, with beautiful macadamia nuts that are roasted with a little bit of honey and then just uh, drizzled on top absolutely the perfect way to celebrate your 20%. We also talked about being patient with yourself and allowing yourself to go through the process of learning. When you're reinventing your relationship with food, it's not going to happen overnight. You'll get hung up in that second phase for a little period of time. Don't worry about it. Just be patient and know that when you get to that fourth and final step of the learning process, you will have it down. The next thing is to give back and teach someone else how to reinvent their relationship with food. I think I'm going to start right here with my 20%. And until next time, please remember to always keep it 
80% healthy, 20% indulgent, and 100% delicious. I'm Robin Shea, and we will see you next time.